Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President of Professional and Educational Development at the University of Louisville's Health Sciences Center. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Professional and Educational Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Health Professions Education. Once a week, we'll come together and use this podcast to bring professional and educational development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Welcome to Faculty Feed. Today, we have Dr. Susan Ryan from the College of Arts and Sciences. Susan's an associate dean there in faculty affairs, and she shares her story of her leadership journey. She also is a graduate of the Liam program. You have a huge role. Can you tell us a bit about the college and your role there? We are a very large, diverse college. We have 21 departments, almost 400 full-time faculty, many, many part-time lecturers. And as Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs, I play some role in the working lives of each of those people. When did you start in this role, Susan? I came into the College of Arts and Sciences in August of 2019 in a sort of shadowing apprenticeship role. I was helping out in faculty affairs. Deborah Keeling was the associate dean for faculty affairs at that time. And it w- at that moment when I came to um, Gardner Hall, where we're located, it was pretty open-ended. Deborah was thinking about maybe moving out of the role, but she wasn't quite sure what the timetable for that was going to look like. I was perfectly comfortable with it being open-ended. I mean, I figured I would learn a lot if I ended up liking the job and having a, an affinity for it, and if she ended up leaving, I could see myself stepping into it. I could also have seen learning a lot across that year and taking that knowledge back to my department. So it was pretty open-ended. Listeners may or may not know there was a lot of disruption in 2019, 2020 in the College of Arts and Sciences. Besides um, the pandemic, right? Besides the pandemic. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Dean Kimberly Kemp Leonard um, stepped down from her role a little bit sooner than was anticipated. David Owen was um, was selected as interim dean. Deborah Keeling ended up leaving to go back to her home department of criminal justice. And I stepped into the associate dean role just a few weeks before the pandemic started. Yeah. Wow. So it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a steep learning curve. Tell us about your life before you had this faculty affairs leadership role. How long have you been at the university? I am a Louisville native. In fact, I'm maybe the fifth generation of my family to wow. reside in the city of Louisville. We, we left our farms and hovels in Europe and came directly to Louisville. I don't, uh-huh. I don't know why, but here we are. Okay. Um, and I left for my undergraduate and, and graduate career. Um, and I did a national job search for a tenure track job in American literature. And I happened to get hired here in my hometown, which I had not anticipated. Wow. Um, That's great. But was absolutely the best possible outcome. I like to say as the ink was drying on my tenure letter, I was invited to take on my first administrative role as Director of Graduate Studies in English. Uh, We have a master's and a PhD program. At that time, there were more than 100 graduate students, and it was a big job. And I did not feel ready Mm -hmm. for it. But as I've learned over time, if you have an interest in something, and you have support and good mentoring, I think it's okay to go ahead and jump in if you don't feel ready. And, and I think that I would encourage people to do that. Chatting before we went, uh, we went live, you talked about 
you're seeing yourself as an accidental administrative leader. Tell us about that. Yeah, I had not anticipated going into administration. I remember my department chair asking when I was pre-tenure, you know, did I see myself as a department chair in the future? And, oh, no, no, I'm a teacher scholar. I can't imagine doing that. I'll do my part on committees. But I was... um, I was honestly flummoxed by the question, like it hadn't particularly occurred to me. But I started into this director of graduate studies role and I liked it. I like solving problems for people. I like policy. I like moving policy and practice closer together. I like yes. moving policy in, in good directions. So what I'd like to do now is maybe transition. 2019, something happened where the health sciences-based leadership development program allowed people from the arts and sciences college to come in really came at the at the suggestion of the vice provost at that time who said i'd like to send five people into your course what do you think and then that began a a process that's just only expanded since then so can you tell us about how you ended up in that first cohort from arts and sciences and what that meant to you and to your colleagues that have been through through Liam. I was invited by Tracy Ells, then Vice Provost for Faculty Affairs, to to be part of this first cohort. And I was all in from from the very beginning. I as I've said, I've had really good informal mentoring along the way, but I've never I've had very, very little previous to 2019, I'd had very little in the way of former formal leadership or administrative training. And I just felt like that was something I needed. And as I was in that sort of apprenticeship role in the College of Arts and Sciences that I had a sense might lead to an associate dean position, I thought, well, this is the time. Right. <laughs> because, and I did end up in the associate dean role a whole lot sooner than I imagined yeah, was sure. going to happen. But it seemed like really good timing in terms of getting some more structured, formal leadership training and experience uh, at that moment. Now, if I remember, we had quite a diverse group. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some, we had a biology professor. We had a physics professor. Yes. We had someone in communications. Mm-hmm. And Pan-African Yourself studies. Yourself yeah. and a Pan-African Studies faculty exactly. member as well. So I think most people don't understand how big and diverse the College of Arts and Sciences is that all those kinds of people live in the same college. Absolutely. Now, of that cohort, the physics professor is now a dean at another university. Okay. The biology professor is now chair of the biology department. Wow. The Pan-African Studies professor is head of the Ann Braden Institute right. and was just elected um, chair-elect in the Department of Pan-African Studies. Wow. And the communication professor has taken on a leadership role in Brown Fellows, and she's also um, co-leading an inter- intercultural communication group in her department. So all five of the inaugural arts and sciences cohort that took Liam in 2019-20 moved on yeah. to leadership roles, mostly here, but but uh, at least one yeah. outside this institution. That, that's an incredible story. Yeah. We're all using it, that's for sure. That's great. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's sort of dive down into the, the Liam curriculum and that year of experience because I'm curious about what you felt like as you were the first people from the other campus, the Belknap campus, to come into the Health Science Center environment, what did you anticipate it would be like and and was it what you thought it would be? 
I worried at first that it would be, it would all be very med school oriented. Uh, yeah. Okay. And certainly Parts. people were from the med school right. and a lot of examples that people used were from health sciences campus. But Liam really emphasizes leadership as, as a human enterprise. And I found that more of it was portable to my own situation than wasn't. Okay. Uh, if that makes sense. No, that's yeah. great to hear because it, it was certainly, our worry was that yeah. it wouldn't work well. Uh, we did it at Tracy L's recommendation and it was an experiment thinking that, well, we'll find out if there should be a separate Liam for Belknap faculty or is this Liam good enough? We were mindful of using examples sometimes that were not all medical, but it's the world we knew and so at least the world I was in, involved in. And... Um, but you're so right that leadership's about relationships, it's about people, and turns out people are people no matter where they work, and the same kinds of things come up on this campus and your campus, the rogue behavior that sometimes you have to deal with. I suspect a dysfunctional, unhappy person who's a kidney doctor has the same kind of problems that the English person might have in your department. And when, when it comes to bad behavior. And so those kind of things are very common. That's why we can have the diversity of class participants now and the content still still works. But it was an experiment in 2019. We didn't know how that was gonna work. So I'm glad you felt that way. Policy matters, budgets matter, but the real work is interpersonal. Yes. And I think that Liam emphasized that. And one of the things that I got from the program was I think a greater attentiveness to my own cognitive and emotional dispositions okay. toward a certain decision or situation or conflict that I'm trying to work through with someone else. Just the awareness, the self-awareness that yeah. I think Liam emphasizes is so key. And also trying to, um, trying to empathize with that other person's position. Maybe someone strikes me as craving praise to an, to an unreasonable degree. And then I dig into that person's history a little bit and maybe they came into the institution feeling delegitimized, right. feeling, feeling peripheral. And, and this is maybe a vestige of that. And so I think that Liam, um, you know, without getting into self-help babble, which right. I have little patience for, um, it really emphasizes that attentiveness to people's contexts and histories, emotional and cognitive dispositions, and, and to one's own. Um, I may find myself getting unreasonably frustrated in a particular meeting or conversation, and chances are good that that's about me. That's yeah. not about this that's other right. person. Yeah. And this person's pushing my buttons, but they're my buttons. I don't think any of us ever really arrives at some sort of pinnacle of perfect judgment or leadership. It's a process. It's iterative. It's a lot of listening, some self-examination, mistakes, trying to correct mistakes, owning up to mistakes, doing right. better the next time. Right. Um, but that sense of it as a process rather than a status. Both, And I mean status both in the sense of hierarchy, but also in the sense of a state, a state of being. A state. Of, I, I appreciate that a lot because even though I am part of Liam and I, you know, work through, I've been, what, I've done it five times now, you know, I'm still in that same 
point where I'm always thinking, okay, what do I need to think through first before I can make my next step? Or what is really going on with me that I'm acting, you know, that I feel this way. And so just like we always say, those are, you know, skills and we need to practice those skills. And so hopefully once you learn the skills, like you said, you just do better the next time. Yeah, it is a journey. It's not take Liam, now I'm ready, fully equipped <laughs> right. to take on the world. I don't learn anything else, right? I it don't know is, why I'm not the president now. I, I, you should be. You probably should be. Because, I mean, maybe Liam equates to boot camp. If you bring it to the Army, it's the boot camp period. But then you get to actually go do it. Yeah. And that's where you really learn. And that's where you really become the leader, having learned about and then practice some specific skills in a safe environment, then you got to take it out to the real world and use it. For anyone listening who's thinking about leadership and administrative roles in an academic setting, it is absolutely a process and it's a long process and you never get to the top. Use the word pinnacle. I don't think we ever get there. All we can do is aspire to be better and better, have more and more impact as we go on and make fewer mistakes as we go on and help more people. And boy, if you can do that, that's about as well as you can do it. So what I'd like to do now maybe is pivot to talk about maybe specifically to young women faculty across the university who hear this story and and wonder sometimes when they look up, how do people get to be the president and the provost and the dean and the vice dean and the associate dean? How do people ever get to those jobs? And you've described a almost accidental pathway, but over a process of time, seeds planted, and then you followed up on it and tried it on and said, you know, maybe, 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 and then there you are. Talk to the young women who are five years out, 10 years out on faculty, and are at least wrestling with this whole notion of, I wonder if administrative leadership is for me. Well, what would your story inform them with? How can you help them start to think about that? I, I'm not willing to give myself credit for for a lot of pioneer work. I think okay. people before right. me did that. Um, but I would say, if you see an opportunity, take it even if you don't feel quite ready for it. I do think women tend to second guess ourselves a little bit, at least traditionally socialized women tend right. to second guess ourselves a little bit more than we should. We tend to over-prepare, especially academics, maybe generally over-prepare. Um, so take a risk on yourself. Take a risk on taking on something that you're not absolutely sure you're ready for and see how it goes. Make a list of roles that you could see yourself enjoying. Maybe that you genuinely are not ready for yet, but might be a possibility um, down the road. And, and do that in a very unself-critical way, just brainstorming. Uh, which, of the, which of these things might I like to do? Um, and figure out who's in those roles now. Um, and I would say, if you're serious about a leadership path, or even if you're contemplating it semi-seriously, make a pact with yourself that you're gonna set up a coffee date with one of those people in the next month and find out what they do. What do they like about what they do? What do they find challenging? What do they find frustrating? What do they find energizing about the work that they do? And how did they get there? You have to be proactive in accepting opportunities that might show up, right. or even better, letting people in leadership know, you know, I've got this 
idea that may be, and then you set up that coffee date and just talk about it, and it gives you a chance to see how does it, how does this fit? It's like trying on the role for a moment and getting to see, does this resonate with me? Could I see myself doing that kind of work? I know I personally went through that kind of process where I identified people uh, at leadership. I went and talked to them and asked myself, do I see myself doing that? And, and the answer came back, yes. Okay, well then what do I need to do to repair? And I, I took your suggestion. I made a list of the things I needed to work on and I talked to those people and got the training I needed that I thought I need to fill those niches. And all of a sudden, 20 years later, you're a success, right? It, it, you're the overnight success 20 years later <laughs> after having, but, but the behind the scenes work is what got you to the stage where you finally are in those very visible roles. I think it's great advice for not just for, for women faculty, but for everyone who's considering um, maybe a leadership path is in it for me. Yeah, and I think those, the kinds of early roles that people tend to be offered, um, directing a program within your department, um, doing the schedule for a large, complicated department, right. chairing, um, chairing a college-wide committee. Um, those are great ways to find out if you have that affinity. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of scaffolding. There's always somebody to go to for guidance. Um, you're within a pretty well-developed, you're not flying solo in those roles. It's a fairly well-developed support structure for them. And it, it's a really good way to find out if this is a, a pathway that you think is going to work. The vast majority of people come to their roles and come to these questions with goodwill. They want good things for the institution. They want good things for our faculty and students and staff and our community. They may have a very different idea of how to get there right. from the ideas that I have. In leadership, I think you have to learn to take satisfaction in incremental wins, incremental change in a good direction. It's very rare to just completely, radically transform right. something right. in any kind of time period we would think of uh, as, as reasonable. It's more likely that we improve this policy right. or we, we see that this half dozen people are stuck at associate professor and we play a role in coaching them uh, and then they make it to full professor. You know, we make, and, and I guess on some fundamental level, I'm not much of a radical um, because I have learned to take satisfaction in these incremental changes um, that I do think move us, if only a little bit, right. uh, to a better place as an institution. So it's hard to get those big wins, right? It is hard. It is hard. And I, I think taking those small steps is leading and we're headed in the right direction. Yeah. So especially in the academic environment, which, which tends to have this tremendous burden of bureaucracy, where it impairs our ability to move quickly. Um, there are advantages and disadvantages to that. If you're going to lead in an academic setting, you just have to understand that's the environment I'm in. Yeah. And you take those small incremental wins that you've talked about right. and, and learn to feel good about that and know that you're, you've, it might have been three yards in a cloud of dust for a football analogy, but you're closer to the goal line than you were before. Exactly. It's not the big pass that scored the touchdown. Right. And, and I mean, this isn't terribly inspiring, but... Sometimes what we do as in administrative roles is harm mitigation. Yeah. You yeah. Know, if in, in circumstances of constraint or disruption, uh, the pandemic, for example, 
um, you have a menu of bad options. Yeah. Which one of those is going to do yeah. the least harm? And you make the best decision you can right? under under difficult circumstances. You're right. Those things are not inspiring, but it's the real every day, every hour work of what many of us, of us do in an academic setting. And um, it, it's not for everyone, but for those who are capable and interested, it's a critical role because if you put it into the context of the larger university, we're in the business of transforming people's lives. Students, learners, graduate students, go from teenagers, lay people, to capable, accomplished uh, graduates of our, of our programs. That's a transformational process that's critically important. But faculty too, especially in your role in faculty affairs, you're taking people from a brand new PhD to someone who has the capability and the tools and skills and the confidence to take on leading a graduate program, lead a department, have a leadership role in the dean's office, and on beyond that. And that's a transformative process as well. So I think we, we all in this room are in the business of uh, changing people's lives and transforming them, hopefully in, in good ways. And that's just hard work. I think we have to accept <laughs> that it's just not easy just to hard. do that work. But with perseverance and persistence and assuming people have good intentions and just going at it day in and day out, that's, that's the work we do. But it brings tremendous satisfaction when you look back over a longer scale of the faculty that came through a tenure process and got through and are now very productive and 20-year and faculty members. So, Susan, as you know, podcasts, we just sit and listen. It's kind of a, a passive sort of learning experience. And so we try to change this passive experience into something a little more active. So we always ask our guests to issue a challenge, if you will, to do something in the next week or so after you listen to this show. So what would you challenge our listeners to? I would say make a list of the roles that you could imagine yourself taking on, maybe next year, maybe in 10 years. Um, who's in those roles currently? Make a commitment to yourself to set up a coffee date with one of those people. Ask them how they got to where they are. What do they like about their role? What do they find challenging or frustrating? What do they find rewarding? Try to think about, if that sounds appealing, how do you get there? Susan, thank you so much right. for taking the time to thank join us both. today. Thank you This was fun. Join us next week on Faculty Feed as we talk with Dr. Linda Fuselay and Dr. Emily Noonan about a project that crosses the HSC and Belknap campuses. This is a good one. You won't want to miss it. If you want to up your game or enhance your skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make the University of Louisville a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to discover and connect. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional resources about today's episode. And feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more Come hungry.